Well, good morning. Welcome to Sunday School. Um, it is really good to have you with us this morning. Uh, let's just pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day uh, that you have made for us. Uh, thank you that we can um, worship you in this day because you are the one who has set it aside to uh, um, make it your delight. And uh, as we come before you, we pray, Lord, that you may bless um, everything we do. Uh, bless this Sunday school class as we explore another of the modes of the church. And uh, may you help us, Lord, to understand and um, bless us, Lord, as we go through all of these things. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, if you ask a farmer in Nebraska... Keith, organic cows are the ones who eat grass. Okay. And I replied to the farmer, I thought that's the only thing that cows uh, eat. Well, it turns out that here in the States, you feed them with grain, and I didn't know that. So, so all the time I, I've been eating organic cows, and I came here and it was not organic suddenly. But I don't know what the difference between eating grass and I, corn. I, I would disagree Well, that's what the farmer said. I have no idea. I, that he said organic cows are the ones who eat grass. Here, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this guy here is an expert on it. Corn is organic, too. Isn't right? it? Yeah, right. So, yeah, I don't know. Now, maybe Roundup and all the other stuff they use yeah. corn isn't quite so organic. Yeah, uh, right. I have no idea. So what makes a cow organic? I don't know. That is not what we are going to talk about this oh, morning, okay. though. <laughs> <laughs> the organic church. Um, remember that as we are, as we are, as we are, yes. <laughs> the church gets grass. Now, uh, remember that as we are talking about these terms, uh, right, um, we are going back a century ago, almost. And also... Um, the influence behind is the romantic movement of the 19th century. Uh, not necessarily the entire philosophy, but certainly the terms that they used to formulate these distinctions. Um, and that's nothing new, right? Calvin uses Plato quite a lot. Um, and uh, Thomas uses Aristotle quite a lot. So uh, philosophy and theology are intertwined very closely together. And the church has always used uh, philosophy to advance uh, uh, theology and to comprehend better what the Bible describes. In that sense, uh, Romanticism became another one of those things that we used to understand the relationship between the church as an institution and the church organic. And, uh, and um, precisely because of that, uh, for Kuiper, organic church, the church as an organism comes first because he says we have the alive church coming first, and then the church that manifests itself as an institution later on. Uh, not that there is a big gap between the two, but if we have an organization without uh, the life of the Holy Spirit in it, then you can call that whatever you want, club, whatever, but you cannot call it church. What makes the church church is that the Holy Spirit living, is living among the members of the church. Uh, so, uh, in that sense, the life principle, notice that again, uh, we are talking in terms of things that are alive, things that are dead. That's a very romantic way of thinking. Um, uh, the life of the, spirit, of the church excuse me, is the Holy Spirit of God who is living in the church. Uh, so, if in that sense, the church is not a club, right? We, uh, we are not the Elks, right? The Lodge of the Elks who do, I guess, good stuff. I'm not familiar with them. Um, we, we are not the Freemasons either. Um, they gather together too. They do activities together too. Uh, they even swear an oath and everything. Um, but they, are, they don't have the Holy Spirit promised to them every single time that they gather. And that's the difference between a club, between a 
a reading club between a lodge or whatever, and the church. The church is alive and that life comes from the Holy Spirit. So in that sense, we kind of did it backwards from Kuiper's perspective. Uh, we first saw the church as an institution, and now we are exploring the church as an organism. Uh, but I'm just, I'm just highlighting that because I want you to understand that the life principle of the church uh, comes from God the Father himself. It's rooted in the decree of election in eternity past in God himself. And that's what produces the church. Does that make sense? Yeah? Okay. Um, um, in this class, this morning, we are going to do... Uh, I'm going to try to avoid... Um, explaining what the functions of the church as an institution and the church as an organism are, because I want to see that next week. Right now, we are just describing what the two of them are. Remember that the church as an institution is the manifestation of the church in, in the institutional form. We said uh, it, it's composed by pastor, elders, deacons, people. We have a name, right? We have a building that we gather in. And sometimes uh, we have a book of church order, a confession that we adhere to. Uh, we, um, there is a way in which we connect with other churches, denominations, and things like that. That's the institutional church. Um, now we are going to see the other side of the organic church, but we have not seen again what the functions of each one is. And I, I am saving that for next week because that's where the confusion lies nowadays. And there are different opinions about it. So we will see that. All right. So um, today we will seek to explore what the church as an organism is. Uh, we will state our working concept once again. And then we will explore some of the ways in which scriptures speak about the distinction. So last week I had this one. The church as an organism is the church that exists as a living body outside of official activities like worship services. Uh, this is the church that during the week is busy working, nurturing families, doing all kinds of normal activities as they exist in the world. So remember, um, as you walk away from the church doors, right, you say goodbye to pastor. It's not like, finally, I'm no longer part of the church, right? You walk away and you, I hope... Right? The expectation is you are going to live as a Christian. You are, going to you are going to think in what God's word has to say to you. And you will seek to apply that to your life. Um, so it's not like you, we are bipolar. right? Uh, one life in the church and then a different one in the world. That, that will get you discipline. Um, that's not how it works. Um, Another way of defining this church is as the church that is spread around, around spread out in the world, um, as, we, as we don't gather, because we will see why. Anyhow, um, another thing that I forgot to mention last week that prompted this distinction is that the state wanted to become the church. And there were theologians inside the state saying, away with the church the state can occupy that place. Um, you know, because what's the role of the church? Uh, the role of the church, they said, is to help the poor, is to, is to um, do social work and so on. Well, we have the state for that. We don't need the church. Um, so away with the church. And the other side of that was, um, well, away with you. We are going to preserve what we can preserve and we are going to concentrate only the safe ones, only the ones that we know are saved, and we are going to pray and gather in the small churches, the small groups, uh, in our houses, and we are going to preserve the church until Jesus Christ comes back, um, but no engagement with anyone else. If the world wants to go to hell, screw them. We can, we can preserve the church. Well, those two movements are in view here as we, talked about, as we talk about the organic church. Do you have any questions so far? Okay. Uh, as the name implies, the distinction comes from the idea that the institutional church, as we experience it in our Lord's, in, on the Lord's Day, is not the only reality. The church is also a living entity. It has a life of its own given to her by the Holy Spirit 
and it is manifested everywhere, uh, everywhere Christians go. So think about here um, a living entity. Uh, think about uh, the language of Paul in 1 Corinthians uh, 15 about uh, resurrection body and things like that. But also before that, 1 Corinthians 12 about the church is a body and its head is whom? Jesus Christ, right? And we are all part of that body of which Jesus Christ is the head. And he says, if you are an eye and you think being an eye is the most amazing thing and you can survive by yourself just by being an eye, then you are deceiving yourself. That cannot happen. You need the rest of the body, right? Because what is an eye by itself? Maybe it can roll, um, but that's it. Um, so we need one another, but the point is we are connected to uh, the head, which is Jesus Christ. And that is a very organic language, isn't it? Uh, it's taken from who we are. We are not machines. We are not uh, robots. We are not uh, metal. We are flesh and blood. And we are organic in that sense. If we die, we decompose. Um, um, and that's why uh, this language is pretty fitting to scriptures. Uh, we are connected to Jesus Christ, and as long as we are connected to him, the head, we are alive. And because we are united to him, we belong to him. We will see some Bible verses later on. And it's manifested everywhere Christians go. It doesn't disappear or stops existing in the world after the worship service. In fact, the New Testament is filled with imperatives for the church as it is spread out in the world, so to speak. So one, one very clear example of that, of that is Romans uh, 12, 9 to, 20, uh, 9 to 21. Um, let me read it to you. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to, to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil. Be, uh, but give thought to do, to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not, overcome by, uh, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Um, so it is clear from um, Romans 12 that there are certain things in there that you can do inside the church, right? Uh, love one another, right? That's clearly, well, we need to love one another. But there are other things uh, that we cannot do in church, um, Bless those who persecute you. Um, well, that's, I guess it can happen, and it, it can happen, but more often than not, uh, the ones who persecute you are the ones who are outside of the church. Uh, so it will be naive to say, um, well, Paul clearly is referring to the church on Sundays uh, doesn't have anything to do with me as I am going to my job. Uh, well, how about when you work in your job and then uh, they say, well, from now on, if you are adhering to a very Christian understanding of sexuality, you need to tell us because you cannot work here anymore. How about that? Um, then suddenly you need to remember these verses, right? Or what about live in harmony with one another? Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly, never be wise in your own sight. Well, I know better, right? Uh, I'm, uh, I am studied, I know tons of things. Um, the, therefore, in this working place, they should have me here, like on, on thin air. I walk over eggshells, 
because I'm the best. Um, no, uh, even if that's true, uh, the Bible tells us to be humble, right? That, that's very practical stuff for walking the Christian life in the church. But what if you go, I will do that in church, but outside everyone else knows me for something different? Um, we will say, well, maybe he's not walking as a Christian. Will we not? Um, so it's clearly referring to those intermingling that we have between believers and unbelievers in the world. So this is not for the church as an institution. Pastor doesn't go with you every single Monday through Saturday to your workplace, right? What are you doing, Dan? And what's that, Dan? <laughs> and, and how do you do that, Dan? And have you, have you thought what the elders are going to tell you then? Like, no, I can't be with all of you at the same time. Um, so it's not, it's not for the institutional church. It's for the organic church as we are spread throughout the world. As we walk away of this building and meeting uh, together, uh, that's, that's where it works. Uh, because it is impossible for the church to show herself as an institution all the time, Right, uh, We cannot be in worship services all the time. We must understand that Paul is thinking about the organic church. In fact, worship in its brothers, broadest sense of the, world, of the word also encompasses our living being, uh, working in, in um, spaces that God has called us to. Uh, in other words, worship implies also the way you work, the way you live your life. Uh, you want to honor God, you want to worship him, you do it in your work as well by doing um, things in a proper way. Uh, who was it? Um, a friend of mine uh, does the um, uh, paving things for the driveways and things like that, and he changes the uh, pavement for little brick things, and it leaves them beautiful. And, uh, and um, he started his business when he was 17, and now he's one of the big ones in, in the area. And I said, so how do you approach work? And he says, well, first of all, I know that my business is more than me. Uh, my business is reflecting who God is. And everyone knows I'm a Christian. So if I screwed up, if I don't install something and it fails, I am the first one in coming back and fixing it myself for free because I'm, I'm seeking to do a good job. Like that's a Christian e ethic of work. Uh, it's not like, ah, oh well, you know, it's your fault. Um, or, or it has a limited warranty of, of uh, like tomorrow. When I, <laughs> when I gave you everything, now it's your fault. When the check yeah, yeah. <laughs> then I, I will not answer your calls. Um, think about what um, Christian um, ethics do in government, right? Where there is a lot of corruption. Christian worker in government doesn't get corrupted. Maybe will get killed for it, but doesn't get corrupted, right? Doesn't rob. Uh, <clears throat> and that's a very close home for me because in Ecuador, everything <clears throat> works with money under the table. And if you don't do that, you are going to wait a long time so we've been waiting a long time for many things, but you need to do it. Um, uh, it's easier to, to pay uh, corruption money. Uh, it's difficult and harder to uh, do things proper, but Christians do it the proper way, right? Uh, have you been stopped in traffic? Well, the police is always looking for money uh, for, you know, Coca-Colas or whatever. So they are very willing to pass 20 bucks under the, under the documents or whatever. Uh, well, Christians will not do that. At least, ideally, they won't. Um, some Christians still, still do. Faith? Well, when we were dating, I, Jessica and I and Fonell were out for some errands, and a policeman stops me and... He gets in. And I uh, like he says, right, jail. Yeah. Okay. I mean, no cell phone, nothing. I have no way of telling him why I'm not coming home. <laughs> but anyway, 
I was oblivious to if I would have just given him a bribe. He did never got in. Yeah. So I just started driving towards the jail, you know? Yeah. And just like Jessica and I, we were whatever, praying, I prayed. She was like nine years old and and everything. And finally he just gets just really mad. He goes, Stop, stop. <laughs> and I, so I stopped and he just gets out and he slams the door and he walks away and everything. And Bonnell just starts cracking up. <laughs> But it's so funny. I mean, I'm just like drained. Yeah. Like, you're supposed to give him money. You didn't give him money. That is so funny. Everybody gives money. And you just drive. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. And uh, so the next time I got stopped, I still didn't give a bribe because I don't do that, you know? And uh, I'm like, okay, Lord, here we go again. <laughs> he didn't even get in. <laughs> Yeah. Thinking you, word got out. Yeah. 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 So ignorance is bliss sometimes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yeah. So think about the ways in which Christian living affects um, the the workplaces that you are in, or with your neighbors, or you know, anything. Um, as I was reading about. I can, I can give you the title of what was it that I was reading. Give me just five seconds. Uh, but it was, it was a, a sickness um, in England, 1800s. Um, it was about... Um, it was about... Huh, cannot find it. Cholera. Cholera. Um, yeah, and typhoid. Um, I mentioned to you some, some of the things I've been reading in this book, this mortar coil. But as I was reading about typhus and cholera, it was really interesting to me to hear that the solution to that was cleaning the pipes in the houses in England and cleaning the water. And politicians didn't want to do that. And even the church said no because... That's not the work of the state to help people have clean water. And uh, that is up to corporations to freely give money so the people who are in need uh, can, uh, can uh, receive help because we are in a free market society. That's England, 19th century. Um, as a result of that, uh, many people were dying until the, a doctor discovered a way and uh, they kind of force the government to do it, and that's when typhus and other sicknesses stopped in those neighborhoods in England. Uh, I've heard, believe it or not, I've heard the same argument here in America. I said, uh, who in the world doesn't want clean water for your neighbor? And they said, well, us, Republican, of course. I said, okay, well, I thought you were Christian first. Right? Um, Christian ethics sometimes will not align with uh, your political views. And what has to prevail there is not your political views, whatever those are, Democrat, Democrat, Republican, Libertarian, whatever, I don't care. What I care is that you are living the Christian life first. That is first and foremost the most important thing. Jesus is king is our confession, uh, not, you know, we hate Biden first and then, and then the rest um, or, or whoever is in power. Um, so, yeah, why wouldn't we want to help those who are in need if we can um, and, and so on? That's part of the organic church. Uh, and we will see later how that is uh, related to the institutional church and how those things interact with each other. So the organic church then helps us to understand that the war that God's grace is fighting is not against anything that is material, but against everything that has been touched by sin. Uh, that's a, a very important thing to remember, right? Uh, remember, uh, is here, Ephesians 6, Paul, in fact, affirms that our fight is, in, is spiritual in nature. 
for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Uh, that means, in other words, that the first enemy of the Christian is not an institution. Uh, you know, let me, let me be blunt about it. Uh, the first enemy of the Christian is not Planned Parenthood, if we want to pick that example. Uh, but what lies behind that, which is a spiritual reality, uh, who else is going to influence people to kill babies? Well, our depra depraved nature, first. The devil, second. And the pressures of the world, third. All of those things, all of those three things are spiritual in nature. So our first way to battle them is praying. Lord, please change their hearts. Lord, please help us to uh, provide aid to, to those ladies who are go going there. Like, and that's why we have Light Choices, a pregnancy center, right? That's why if you have not signed up yet, do it. They have a, a text thing that you can get the prayer requests and you can pray for them um, and, and things like that. Uh, but it's not against uh, material things. And that is important to understand. Uh, our fight is against the spiritual things. And in that sense, grace comes to restore nature. Uh, there is a leavening power of the gospel that touches everything. Think about Jesus Christ and this parable that he has about the kingdom of God. Uh, uh, he put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven... Um, think about it. I'm stopping there on purpose. The kingdom of heaven, he says, is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Why is Christian stopping in the kingdom of heaven? Because Adrian Rogers, I'm sure you know him, was one day explaining this uh, Bible verse and he goes, oh, that's the kingdom of hell. That's the devil's kingdom. And I go, what? How could he say that? It says clearly the kingdom of heaven. And he says, because the kingdom of, of hell, uh, Satan's kingdom, grows like that. It's big. And, and uh, you know, the, the birds of the air come and make nests in, in its branches. And I was like, it says the kingdom of heaven. Well, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed. It's small, but it grows. It occupies everything. Think about images like Nebuchadnezzar and how Daniel is describing his kingdom in, in Daniel 6 and how he says, uh, after all of those kingdoms, uh, there will be a new kingdom, uh, a rock that will grow throughout the earth and the birds and the animals will take refuge under it. So salvation and God's kingdom is not only about uh, your souls and your resurrection body, but maybe, maybe everything else as well. Maybe even animals. Maybe even, uh, even uh, other living things that will exist in the consummation of the kingdom. But anyhow, the, the biggest point here is the kingdom of heaven encompasses everything, not just your soul not just your salvation. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. The kingdom of God, brothers and sisters, doesn't despise anything. It leavens everything that this world has to offer. There is a reason that Augustine is interacting in the city of God with uh, the philosophers of the world and he reads, you know, do you want to know where Plato got his stuff? He read the Old Testament. That's his explanation. And uh, it's not, it's not out, of, out of the blue. He's saying that for a reason. Where else he is, is he going to get so much truth about, about everything? Uh, I don't know if he's right or not. I don't know if Plato read the Old Testament. Uh, but he is so close to truth that we many times have used philosophical platonic terms to, to advance our theology, to respond to heresies. Um, 
where do you do, where do you think we get the language of uh, three in persons, one in essence? It's not in the scriptures. I mean, the language, the formulation is not scriptural. The reality is, we hear about God the Father creating everything and then going, let us make man after our own image. Well, that's a plurality, okay. And then the angel of the Lord appears to Joshua in Joshua 5, and, uh, and uh, he is speaking about the Lord, the God of hosts, sent me. And, and Joshua worships him. So clearly, he, the angel of the Lord is a different person than uh, God uh, the Father. And yet, um, he can worship him. So what is, what is going on there? And then Paul talks about uh, Jesus Christ being God as well, the Holy Spirit being God as well. How do we understand that? We need outside of the scriptures kind of language. That's why we have used essence. It's not a scriptural language. It's a philosophical language. We use persons. That's not uh, uh, scriptural language. That's philosophical language. Augustine, about, uh, talking about the Trinity in his book on the Trinitatis, on the Trinity, he says, we use persons because there is no other better language than that. It's like, this is the best we can do. Um, we use philosophy, right? So it leavens everything. The kingdom of God takes everything that this world produces and uses it for the advancement of, of the kingdom. Think about, you know, think about uh, social media. It's really, really bad in many respects. It's really, really good for the advancement of the kingdom in many other respects. Uh, we, can, we can, you know, put an ad and send uh, videos to North Korea or to uh, Kenya and to other places and they will get uh, the message of the gospel. Um, a really good avenue. The roads, like the Roman roads that were so well built, guess who used them the most? Not the Romans, the Christians to spread the gospel. So there is nothing that the leavening power of the gospel doesn't touch or it doesn't use for God's, for God's glory. Um, let me think. Um, lost my place. Do you have any questions while I find my place? No? Kelly. All right. No, everything is uh, one, uh, whether, whether you see it from Kuiper's perspective or, or not. Because as I said, the life of the church starts not with us here on earth, but with God's decree in eternity past. That's when the church starts. Uh, but there is a difference between God's kingdom and the church. The church doesn't encompass everything that the kingdom is. Uh, clearly, because, uh, you know, Matthew 13 says that there is a leavening power of, of the kingdom of God. Uh, Jesus says, the kingdom of God is at hand, therefore repent. And then he proceeds to show us how the kingdom of God has come. Uh, it's not only um, through repentance and forgiveness of sins, but it's also by, through the restoration of everything that sin has touched. Think about the paralytic or the lame guy. Uh, he's there. And he goes, um, stand up and take your mattress and, and leave. And, and he's like, oh, okay. Uh, and he goes, the kingdom of God has arrived because the guy is walking. Uh, so Jesus is very concerned about our bodies. Jesus is very concerned about uh, what happens to uh, the little girl who is dead. And he has to come to Jairus' house and say, Talita kum, a uh, little girl, arise, and she is resurrected, right? Um, John 11, um, uh, Lazarus is dead. Uh, Jesus could have gone, it's okay. He's in the Father's presence. I know it. Nothing happens. I mean, that's just food for worms, right? Like Scrooge. 
Don't let the worms take everything, my friends. Um, um, he doesn't say that. Um, he, go, he cries. He's angry at, uh, at death and what has happened. Uh, and in fact, Mary, uh, no, Martha comes to him and says, Lord, if, we, if you, you just had been here, my brother would not have died. And he's, calm down. He will live. And she goes, oh, yeah, in the resurrection of the body. He says, no, he will live right now. And he goes and, and resurrects Lazarus. So Jesus is clearly concerned for more than just, more than just salvation. Um, so in that sense, uh, the kingdom of God is more than just uh, the church. And those kind of uh, divisions don't do justice to what scriptures presents to us. Because if there are two realities, uh, one uh, uh, celestial uh, that impacts only the church and the other one that impacts uh, the uh, um, outside world, then how do, you, how do you even evangelize? How do you even say, uh, no, that's wrong? Why? Well, let me explain you through natural law how uh, murder babies is wrong. And how do you even start making that argument through natural law? Uh, let me think. Well, um, clearly nature shows us that killing babies is wrong. Uh, no, because there are animals who eat their babies and kill them. Uh, clearly, uh, then, uh, that's murder. Uh, how do you know that? Where do you get that from? The, even the concept of natural law, where do you get it from? It comes from scriptures. Uh, so how, how, do you, how do you do that? I, I find it really hard. Uh, I think this division between one, and, and, uh, one reality in church and another in the world is a very American and accommodated view of Christianity uh, because if you go to a different places uh, and um, you try to argue from natural law, like go to Haiti and say, well, clearly from natural law, burning your crops was not very smart and burning your universities was not very smart. And now that you are asking for education, you shouldn't ask for education because you burn it all. You clearly are stupid people. Uh, see how that goes. <laughs> right? Um, no, you need scriptures. You need to say, well, no, the Bible calls us to honor our authorities. And the Bible calls what you just did uh, uh, stealing from your farmers, right? Um, you need to use that language. Um, there is no other way. Scriptures are the foundation for everything we do and say. And um, to try to go around it, um, it works here in the States because we have a very Christian foundation of things. It doesn't work anywhere else. Um, I'm sure Chad has tons of examples of that too. Um, does that answer your question more or less? We will touch on that next week though. That's why I'm kind of like going around the question. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Dan? I'm wondering about use of words. In the, I've always associated leaven as being bad or evil. Yeah. But in Jesus' parable, talking about a little level, leaven, leavening the whole Lump. Yeah. And that's, I mean, so we can use leaven for good or for bad, I guess, yeah. really. I mean, if we can't assign good or bad to yeah. leaven. Yeah, so if we want to be a little bit more, um, I don't know, clear perhaps about it, Jesus says, um, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, of the Pharisees. right? Um, so there is a life principle in the leaven of the kingdom that is good. Whatever the kingdom of God touches, expands, and, you know, uh, acquires, that's good, Jesus says. But if you have the same uh, leaven or, or a different leaven from the Pharisees, um, which is understanding life principle, way of seeing life, then he says, the, the guys are wrong. And, and clearly, we, uh, the Pharisees are the good guys, by the way, because they, they were the ones who were like uh, keeping the scriptures, trying to obey the law, and so on. And Jesus says, no, those are the bad guys, because they don't, 
they don't they do things just for doing things. They don't really believe this. Yeah. So yes, in the scriptures, generally speaking, leaven is referred to bad things. But here when is when Jesus himself is saying the kingdom of heaven is like, then we are to understand, oh that's good. God's kingdom occupies a lot. And it's more than just it's more than just um um uh, saving our souls. So think about this, perhaps more clarifying. The kingdom of God is not a new concept for Jesus Christ. It's not a new concept, certainly, for the Jews. Uh, when God creates the heavens and the earth, that's his kingdom in perfection, right? And to whom he gives um, authority to represent the king here on earth? To Adam, right? That's why Adam is king, and he's to extend um, the garden uh, and its dwellings. Let me just go to, if you can go to Genesis, I think it's 127. So yeah, 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the seas and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. So the very first thing that we are told about Adam is that he is to have dominion over creatures. Um, he is to reflect who God is as creator, as king. Then God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. And God blessed them, and God said, be, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion again over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. What is that but God's kingdom in the small part of the earth? And then as Adam is to expand that kingdom, uh, God's presence will expand with it upon the earth. So when God comes down to talk to Adam and Eve, uh, and they, that, that's uh, uh, God's purpose for humanity. He wants to dwell with us in this creation that he made. He has never sep been separated from it. Uh, his plan was never to go, um, oh, well, it's done. See ya. Or, like, we will see how it goes. You know, he's not, that's deism. Uh, it's like, oh, God is like the great watchmaker who just gave it battery and then let, let it work and done, done deal. I, I don't have anything to do with it. No, he, his desire is to live with his people here on earth. But what happened? Sin ruined that. And now uh, his plans were thwarted, so to speak, so to speak, because he already knew it. And that's why he announces Genesis 3.15, right? That he will put enmity between the serpent and the woman, and that he will crush that serpent head. What is the purpose of that? For God to dwell with his people once again. So God comes to Noah, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. He dwells with them, more, more presently with the tabernacle, with the temple, and then finally in Jesus Christ dwelling among us. And then what Jesus says is, it's really good for you that I live because I will send you the comforter who will live with you. What are we? First Peter 2, if not temples, rocks, in which the Holy Spirit lives, right? Uh, so, in other words, God's desire is always to live with his people. And he lives with his people in a place. And that place is this creation, his cosmos. And that's what we see in Revelation again, right? We don't see the garden again. We see development. We see a city the new Jerusalem, and occupies the whole of the cosmos. Um, so God's kingdom is leavening. It occupies everything. All right. Um, did that answer your question then? Yeah. Yep. So the church is a colony of heaven on earth and lives according to the standards of the city of God everywhere we are. Then we manifest those principles in the way we interact with the world. If you have not done it yet, read Augustine's City of God. It's a long book, but it's so entertaining. It's so fun. Uh, he has really interesting things to say. And how he mocks the gods of the Romans. Oh, that's just gold. 
It's like re reading a comedy. It's, it's really good. Uh, but the point is, Augustine has this distinction, city of man, city of God. And he says the city of God is where God dwells with his people, what I just said. Uh, and yet he has also uh, theology about what do we do when we live in this world. In fact, he goes so far to say if the emperor is uh, a non-Christian, that's okay, he says, we still live as citizens of God, of the city of God. Uh, but if the emperor is a Christian, he says, that will be way much better. Not because he's going to Christianize the world, he says, but because he will live according to the principles of the scriptures. So clearly for Augustine, there is a difference between being an emperor as a Christian and how will you apply scriptures and being in the church and how scriptures apply to you. Uh, he is not, he's not advocating for, you know, let's, um, I don't even know how to say this, but let's make the world the church. That comes later with the Roman church, as we will say, um, as we will see. Uh, but that's not Augustine. He's not saying that. He doesn't go, well, clearly in the Old Testament, uh, it was, it was uh, sin to use polyester. So no one can use polyester by the decree of, of uh, the emperor. No, he understands that the church uh, and the state relate differently to what God has revealed in his world, in his word. So we will see that later. Um, do you have any questions? All right. That doesn't mean, however, that we are going to institutionalize the world. Rome has tried to do that because the world is profane in Rome's understanding. Then everything should come under the institutional church in order to receive, to receive a sacred status. Uh, so um, think about uh, your Roman Catholic neighbor, if, if you have one, uh, and if they are from Hispanic countries, <coughs> then think stronger about them, uh, because whenever they get a new car, they go make it blessed by the priest with, with holy water. Why is that? Rome is bringing things under its wing, so can it stop being uh, profane and become something sacred? It belongs to the church now. Uh, it's, it's, it's good. It's good to use. It's been blessed. You have a new house. Who is the first one you call to? The priest. He has to bring holy water to exercise the house, right? Sprinkle it uh, because now it's sacred. Now it's good to live on. Uh, that's Rome's understanding. We need to take everything under the wings of the church so it can become sacred. Uh, but the institutional church does not have that character. The officers of the institutional church are not politicians, not, nor sellers of goods, nor academicians. So it's not their place to absorb everything under the wings of the church. In other words, I cannot come here and say, um, well, um, clearly the president did wrong in whatever decision he made. And I'm going to talk about that in my sermon. Well, I don't even know anything about politics. That's not my place. Uh, my place is to speak to you about scriptures, right? Um, nor I can come and say, well, the church has started this new plan where we are going to give everyone good retirement packages. And that's my sermon all about, how, about what the, uh, the amazing deal that we have gotten with this amazing company. So everyone is going to get good retirement packages and you can live your best life right now. Well, that's not my place either. Uh, the church is not concerned about retirement places or, or whatever. Nor I can come here and speak to you about the clash of molecules uh, and how in the Netherlands there is this new lab that they are testing to see if they can explode the world. Well, I have no idea how that works. I have a friend who knows, but I, I have no idea. And my sermon cannot be about that because that's not the place of the church. Uh, <clears throat> what the church cannot do, however, is say, we are going to control how many molecules you explode a day or how many um, insurances you sell in this week. Or, you know, we are going to control um, um, who, who gets selected for the Republican Party or Democratic Party or whatever. We cannot say that. Uh, it's not our place. Um, and, and it's interesting to me to see that some Protestants uh, have tried to do something similar to Rome, but in, in the contrary direction, escaping the world. 
let's escape the world, uh, thinking that this world is good for nothing and therefore they abandon it because there is no sense in decorating the wilderness. Um, they abuse that image of, of we are sojourners in this land, First uh, Peter 2. And, and they say, well, what's the point? Israel wasn't decorating cactuses in the wilderness. Um, yeah, that's right. Uh, they were not. Um, or influenced by the Left Behind series. Uh, they affirm that the world will be destroyed, burned <coughs> entirely, and there is no sense in trying to rescue this world that is condemned anyway. So Jesus is going to come, or the rapture. So, you know, all the time we need to be thinking about the rapture and things like that. Well, the Bible speaks in a different tone about it. Uh, let me read Jeremiah 29, 4-7. Uh, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses, live in them, plant gardens, and eat their produce. Um, take wives and have sons and daughters. Uh, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Israel is in exile. And they know it's because of their unfaithfulness. And they know their captors are not the best guys in the world. Um, and um, it would have been understandable if God would have gone, you know, you know what, pray for your deliverance. Because I'm going to come. And I assure you that I will come. But pray, pray, don't do anything. Just wait until I come. Uh, you are in exile. Uh, think about it. Like um, your enemies have taken you captive. And God goes, don't fret about it. Just build houses. Work. Seek the welfare of the city when you, where you are. Because on it, you will find your welfare. And do you know who takes, an, takes up that language in the New Testament? Because we can say, oh, that's Old Testament. Well, Paul takes up that language of Jeremiah and goes, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life. In their prosperity, you will find your prosperity, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and um, dignified in every way. So for Paul... Uh, he goes, um, no, you are not going to live as, as if this world is worth for nothing. No, work, uh, have houses, uh, get, get uh, into, um, marry your daughters and your sons, multiply, be fruitful, seek the welfare of the place that God has placed you in. Um, love the nation where you are, the city where you are, pray for it. Uh, try to be a good neighbor, in other words. Try to seek the welfare of those who need it. Why? Because that's God's mission for us. So we can show Jesus Christ to those who don't know him. Can you imagine, um, uh, you know, can you imagine a person is in the wheelchair and he's by himself and there is no access for him and he's trying to go over the sidewalk, but he can't. And you go, oh, well, this is not my city. I belong to the heavenly kingdom and I don't need to help him because um, he is an unbeliever. And as an unbeliever, his heart is hardened and he doesn't deserve anything. So go ahead and try it, you stupid. And I'm going to wait until, you know, see what happens. That's not Christian ethics, is it? You will help. You will try to aid uh, that person uh, as much as you can. Why? Because just as you were incapable of saving yourself, he is incapable of helping himself. And just as Jesus has shown mercy to you, you are going to show mercy to those who don't deserve anything. And that's a gospel principle. So you work according to it. Ezra 6, 10, that they may offer pleasing sacrifices to the God of heaven and pray for the life of the king and his sons. This is talking about uh, the restoration of the temple and how Ezra being under Cyrus's 
No. Uh, I forget the name of the king. Uh, is it Cyrus? Yeah, did I say it right? Yeah, I think it's Cyrus, a pagan king. And yet the temple is to be praying for the life of the king and his sons. And then uh, Philippians 2, 14 and 16. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Notice what Paul doesn't say. Children of God without blemish in the midst of the church, among whom you shine as lights in the world. That doesn't make sense, does it? What he says is, children of God and the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Philippians, Philippian church, really small church, in the midst of a very big and important, although waiting, uh, um, uh, although, excuse me, a waning uh, city of Philippi. And uh, they have the Praetorium right there, which makes it a very important city. The citizens there are Romans by nature. They are born Romans, which is something that is uh, not granted to every single city. And you have this small church who is trying to be faithful, trying to do commerce, trying to live the Christian life in a different way. And they are tempted to, what about... Uh, bribery. Well, you know, if we give this money to the officers, we will get better status. Uh, and, you know, we have the, the praetorium. Shouldn't we be one of the strongest churches, magnificent churches with buildings and everything? And Paul goes, that's not how it works. Rather, be light in the midst of darkness. Um, uh, and very influenced by Stoicism. If you are Stoic, you are in your path towards improvement, towards getting a place in, in Roman society. That's why Paul, chapter 1, uh, Philippians, uh, I rejoice in everything, but at the same time I'm crushed and I'm going to die. And what shall I choose? I don't know whether to live or to die. What is he doing there? Showing them how to die. How do you die as a Christian? Do you, do you get plugged in the stoic thing and go, I don't feel anything. Destiny is just blind and I'm as blind as destiny. And so whatever destiny leads me, I'm going to go without complaining because I control my feelings. Paul is like, I'm crushed. I don't know what to do, whether to stay or to leave. If I go, wow, that's glory for me but it's a lost for you. And then he goes, but I'm confident I'm going to stay. And then he goes again, but I don't know if I'm going to leave. You, it's, it's super interesting, uh, but he's struggling with that. Uh, we need to avoid thinking that all that we do uh, will have a triumphal ending though, as if our own efforts will bring uh, Jesus back sooner. So triumphalism, transformationalism, reconstructionism are errors that we, may, we, we must avoid. Uh, first, the church cannot conquer by herself. Uh, second, the church is called to carry the cross of Christ. And uh, uh, finally, uh, um, this calling is by no means a call to overcome the world as some would like it. It is conquering by denying yourself, by abandoning the common myths of our culture. In a word, it means conquering sin first in ourselves. It is a continual battle. And the reward is found in eternity with the crown of glory. We don't have time to read those verses that I have there. Um, uh, however, this does not mean that we as Christians or as the organic church are silent about things. As if we were to have a bipolar personalities, living one kind of life at church and a different one in the world. A Christian engagement, Christian ethics are always lived in light of scriptures. Uh, what I said at the beginning, right? When you walk out of the building, you don't become a different person. You don't change your, per your personality. Um, no, what the Bible says has something to say to how you live your life. Um, and that applies to everything. Um, so 
Hope that's clear. We will see next week how that gets more complicated. <laughs> All right, do you have any questions? No? Looking around? All right, let me pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, the church and thank you for your calling into your people. Uh, Lord, we thank you that you have given us life even when we didn't deserve anything. Uh, we were not worthy receivers of your grace. And yet, uh, Father, you rejoice in saving that which is worthless. So we thank you for that. We thank you for Jesus Christ. And uh, we pray that as we prepare to come to worship and uh, meditate upon the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you may open our hearts and ears to your word, uh, to everything that we are going to do. Uh, so in doing it, we may do it in the spirit and in truth, according to your word and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, brothers and sisters.